You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. This week's episode, How Much to Bet, Part 1, Pre-Flop, or The Virtue of Open Raising. Hey Dell, how's it going this week? It's, it's going well. I'm getting to talk to my favorite poker personality. Well, thank you. The mildly famous Dr. Origami. Mildly famous because we've reached 500 views. Right. Well, I should say we've surpassed 500 listens and we have listeners in Spain and Portugal. And the Philippines. We're international. We're international. And we've only been doing this for, this is our 14th week. Yes. We've got 32 listeners, but at least one or two of them is in the Philippines. <laughs> Or at least they're American listeners using a VPN based in the Philippines. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. But the fact is, we enjoy doing it. You and I have both said that we think we're improving our skills because the fact that we're putting this content out there, we have to portray the material in a way that's consumable to the audience. And the best way to master a subject is to teach it and just bring it out there. And we enjoy it. That's mm -hmm. our two main objectives. Yeah, we, we love enjoy it. it. We think we're getting better by doing it. And if we monetize it, whatever, that's fine. <laughs> But anyway, for all of those listeners who have been with us since episode one, it's been an amazing three months and we're going to keep doing it. So feel free to let us know about any topics or themes you want to discuss and maybe maybe we'll do it on a future podcast. With this podcast, we wanted to talk about bet sizing. Previous podcasts, we've talked about why to bet and when to bet. And now we're going to talk about how much. Yeah. And this is a very tricky topic. I would expect this is going to be more than one episode. Yeah. I, I mean, we pretty much already decided we're going to have to break this down into pre-flop, flop, turn, and river. We might find out that we can do a couple of them together, but we'll see how this goes. But it gets pretty complex, especially once you get to the flop. We'll see how it goes. One thing I want to mention is that this episode's different in the sense that we're not really stating solutions. The problem we're trying to solve here is how much should we bet? What framework can we discuss to help ourselves implement bet sizing appropriately at the table to maximize EV? And the only tools we have I think are really exercises, and I think we'll get to those at the end. You mentioned that it's going to get complex, and I always love to simplify topics and concepts, and I always run the risk of oversimplifying them. So I think this is going to be an interesting dialogue we have over the next few episodes. When I was working out with my son, by the way, I'm in my 40s, I work out differently than I did when I was in my 20s and 30s, and my son is 12. He started lifting weights with me, and he's doing like resistance bands, three sets of 15 reps, so he's not going to jack up his growth plates. But I'm teaching him proper form, good discipline, he loves it, and it's great father-son bonding time. While I was resting between sets, I just had this light bulb moment out of the blue that bet sizing comprises three areas. There's the relationship between bet size and bet frequency, or basically how often you bet or how seldom you bet, and the relationship between how large or small that bet is. There's a relationship between bet size and how much your opponent is willing to pay or what an economist would call inelasticity of demand or price inelasticity and then how those relate to board textures and range on range advantage so i thought like in the minute and a half rest i had between sets this three-pronged approach 
hit me like a lightning bolt. And I don't think it's right. I think it's overly simplified. And I would love to have a conversation about that. And I know you wanted to start with pre-flop sizing. Yeah, I wanted to start with pre-flop sizing, but we can have a little bit of a conversation about that other. It's really, it's not so necessarily oversimplified in the sense of when you're talking pre-flop, everything you've just said is pretty true. I think that it becomes oversimplified as you go down different streets, you end up having a greater decision tree and at which point you have greater complexity and it becomes one of those things where it's not so simple as the black and white notion of the concept. The concept stays the same. All right, let's make that clear. Let's start with the theory of bet sizing. Let's start with just a base theory that nothing else, the simplest goal of bet sizing is to gain us the greatest EV over time. And often that means it's going to be the greatest EV in that moment. That really depends on how we know our opponents or not. But if we sit at the table and we don't know anybody, bet sizing we're choosing is based on what we believe is going to give us the greatest amount of EV over time. As we get to know those players and their tendencies, the bet sizing could be based more on what's going to get us the greatest EV at that moment, because if we make the decision that's going to get us the greatest EV within every moment, it is the greatest EV over time. Make that clear, because I don't want anybody to come back to me and say, well, you know, if, if you make the best decision in the moment, yes, right. That's why I added that part in. But our goal is to make the most EV with our bet size over time. I wanted to add one thing there. You can win a hand by making good decisions and follow a good process, and you can still not maximize your EV. You might not be making the best possible decision. It's a good decision. Don't get me wrong. It's just suboptimal. You might have won some money, but did you extract max value? If not, you left money on the table. And somebody could say it's not really true that that's what we're always trying to do because they could say that my bankroll can't handle a high variance game. And I would argue that it's still true because the max EV for them is to have a bet sizing that their bankroll can handle so it can survive until it's bigger that's still maximizing your EV over time. That base goal is the same. Now, the question, it doesn't really, that's simple, right? The thing that becomes complex is when we start looking at the how we're going to accomplish that. So how are we going to make sure that we make those kind of decisions that get us the max EV over time? When are we going to make certain bets? And what are the incentives that are going to lead us down those lines? And we'll talk more about incentives when we get to the flop, because pre-flop, generally the incentive is, to gain value. We're betting because we believe we have a valuable hand worth raising with. One of the things you mentioned before we started recording was that this is almost the flip side of our first podcast, which was the Sin Olympic, and that one of the things that we're going to really be visiting when we go down this is the benefit of raising preflop. When we look at preflop, we have different ways to look at it. We have like different sizes. And one of the first things that I want to talk about was standard sizing. For the longest time, the standard size was 3x. It was beneficial to raise as opposed to limping. And when you raise, you wanted to raise 3x. And then somebody came along and said, well, 3x doesn't always work. Sometimes it has to be 3x plus 1x for every limper. And the reason for that was that always kept you around a pot size bet, maybe a little more but it was always around a pot size bet. What that meant was that if somebody had a range that had like a 30% equity against your range, they were making a mathematical mistake to call that 3X bet. That's why that came about. It wasn't just somebody said, hey, 3X seems like a nice number. Let's do that. There was a mathematical reason for that bet. We're not making choosing these sizes just on a whim. There's a reason for it. That first evolution, betting 3X because of this. Well, we're beyond that evolution in poker. 
it doesn't work anymore in most games. If you go to a game where that's the standard opening raise, in lower stakes anyways, you're going to see that there is an awful lot of multi-way pots. What we want to do is we want to get heads up because it's easier to win. And we want to get heads up with range advantage and be able to maximize that. That's real difficult to do in multi-way pots. Then people started looking at pain threshold, right? So the standard bet size changed and it became 4X and 5X. And again, some games where people are opening now 8X and 10X, this also isn't right. And it's a mathematical mistake, depending on how deep you are. Most low stakes games you go to, you're looking at four to five X. And if you open up six X, you're a little bit bigger than they are. You're a little bit more than they are. We can push their comfort zone and get them to play bigger. But if we get to a point where we start looking at betting 10% of our stack to open, well, we're pretty much always playing for stacks. And that's not good either. That's not a road we want to go down. We want to be able to put our opponents in an uncomfortable position without making a huge mathematical mistake ourselves. I still see a lot of limps and min raises. I played today and I was surprised. Okay, I wasn't surprised how many limps there were. Because remember, in one of our earlier episodes, I actually kept a Google spreadsheet detailing every hand for like 60 hands for like three hours. And I counted how many limps went across the table for those three hours. And it was mind boggling. I'm also floored at how often people min raise. What does a min-raise accomplish? Instead of playing a hand for $3, now I have to play a hand for $6. But the fact is, I got the small blind, I got the big blind, I got a min-raiser. So even with one min-raise, we're talking $10 in the pot. I'm going to call six, potentially to win my six plus the 10. So I'm getting like three to one odds of my money. And my calling is just going to incentivize more people calling. You were talking about how you get multi-way. It's almost family pot. When this happens, I'll see big blind, mid-raise, a whole bunch of calls at the $6, and then the guy on the button makes it like 40, and everybody freaks out, and then they fold. At that point, it's almost like you're playing bingo with cards, or you're playing a game of chicken. I think they're all making mistakes. I think the people who are min-raising are making mistakes, and then the people who are raising large just because they think they could bully people are also making a mistake. Now, you never know if they woke up with aces or kings. I think there's a distinct difference between betting 10x when you're 100 big blinds deep and betting 10x in an uncapped game where you're 500 big blinds deep. One's a mistake, even if you have aces, because here's the problem. If you do it only when you have aces or kings, then you're not getting any action because it's going to be pretty obvious. But I think that when I look at what, what you're talking about there, one of the things I want to say before I go into responding to what you just said, I want to say this. I want to ask a question first. What's wrong with the standard bet size? I think the standard bet size no longer accomplishes the goal it used to in the early 2000s where you could get someone heads up or at worst three-way. And even if you have aces, if you're heads up, you're like an 83, 85% favorite. If you're like four ways to the flop, you've gone to them to like what? Isn't it 45? Four ways, I think it's about 45, 44%. Yeah. Yeah. The reality is, is your chances of winning the hand just went way down. But the biggest problem with the standard bet size is what you just said. That is actually the biggest problem. But there's another problem. There's another underlying problem. Poker is a negative sum game. Unless you're playing in a game where there's no rake, there are exceptions. If you're playing in a game where there's no rake and it costs you nothing to sit at that table, in that case, poker is a zero-sum game. But if you're going to the casino and there's a rake, it's a negative-sum game, which means if everybody plays the same, 
everybody loses. The standard size is fine. If you can bet the standard size, that table standard, and everybody is respecting that bet and you can get heads up, absolutely, it's still fine to use. But more often than not, it's not because you're playing like everybody else at the table. That may not be the one difference you have to make, but it's a good start to look at. Do I want to take in everybody's betting 5x? Do I want to bet 6x and see if I get heads up that way? Maybe 7x? There's a point. There's a cutoff point. There's a point where it has to be like, no, this is too much of my stack or it's too high of a percentage for my opponent's stack. Because by the way, it's not just our stack that matters. It's the effective stack that matters. So that all matters. And that's really, that to me is the core point of it. You cannot play like all your opponents or you're just losing money. I think your bet size has to mirror your range construction pre-flop. If you're playing 200 big blinds deep or 300 big blinds deep, you have a lot more leeway to play suited gappers, suited connectors, even try to set mine with your low pocket pairs, your small pocket pairs, because there are heuristics. There's like a 15x, 25x, 35x heuristic where if I'm going to set mine, I want to make sure the opponent has at least so much behind in their effective stack that it becomes profitable for me. Same thing with suited connectors, same thing with suited gappers. If you're playing 50, 75, even 100 big blinds deep, and all of a sudden, in order to get heads up, you need to bet seven or eight big blinds to get heads up, that's a significant portion of your stack. And if you have a speculative hand that's not gonna get there a large percentage of the time, and if you don't think you can outperform your opponent post-flop, either representing a hand, making them fold, things like that, you're not going to survive very long. You're going to bleed ships pretty quickly. All of that's very true. And, and I can't, I have nothing to add to that. That's absolutely very true. And that one lies where, how deep are you going to go? It's easier to take and push the pain threshold in a game where the standard bet size is 3x than it is where the standard bet size is 5x, because you have more room to push that pain threshold of that game. And by paying threshold, and by the way, it's one of those things that I believe was pretty much coined by Saul for Y. So since I'm using it here, I want to make sure they get credit for it. But you push that paying threshold to get more folds and get more likely to be heads up. Anyways, I want to respond to what you said earlier about the min raises and the limps, and there's still a lot of those. And my question is, is why are people limping? Why are people min raising? We all already know why they limp. They limp because they want to see a cheap flop. Yep. Never, ever, ever give them a cheap flop. Min-raise, sometimes it's the same thing. Hey, this is a hand I want to play, so I'm going to play it, and I'm going to raise because I hope it gets me a cheap flop. Right, because they might be afraid of getting three back. And if you're playing one three and someone min-raises to six, well, a good size for a three bet might be three or four times that bet. So now they're three betting to 24. If I were to open raise and I made it 15, 20, 25, then if someone were to come over the top of me and three bet me, they would likely make it 70, 75, 80, something around that ballpark. So they're trying to set their own price because if they're afraid of getting three bets, they could at least take solace in the fact that one, they can still bail the hand relatively cheaply. They only invested $6. And two, did I go A or B or one or two? Anyway, I don't think it matters. <laughs> point, point the second, Roman numeral II, if they do get three bets, it won't be for that much more money. And if they're putting in a bet of six as a min-raise, they might very well want to call a three bet because it's only $24. It's only money. It's not that much. It's a faulty 
decision tree. I don't think they're making the right choices. I'm just putting myself in their shoes because they're setting their price. So how do we attack that? We don't let them see a cheap flop. Right. We we don't even cheap we don't even cheap three bet them, right? We three bet them like they three X'd it. We three bet them like they three X'd it as opposed to two X it. Or actually we, we really want to be three Xing them like three and a half times what we would do on a 3x bet. So we're going to punish them for it. So that's one reason. There's this, the people min raise out of fear. Now, the reality is, is you have to identify what the fear is. Like there'll be people who will min raise with aces. And obviously you don't want to be three betting them really large all the time. You have to identify what that person is before you make the decision of how am I going to three bet them? What's my three bet sizing going to be? And we're going to get into three bet sizing really deeply, like in a later episode. We're still talking about preflop and people who min raise and they min raise this is like literally the the second worst thing you can do the worst being limping preflop but they do that out of some level of fear sometimes the fear is nobody will call them and it'll be real easy to identify them because that same person that's afraid nobody call them is probably betting larger when they don't want people to call them so that small bet becomes real easy to identify and we don't want to be hammering them but guess what they just gave you odds to call with such a large range profitably and you either smash that flop or you don't, and they're never going to get paid well playing that way. That's how we attack it, and that's why we don't do it. We're not going to be min-raising preflop. One of the things I want to talk about with preflop sizing, uh, you know, there's this, well, we had some discussions before we started recording, and I, I think some of them pertinent. One of the questions was differences between live and online and why bet sizing tends to be smaller online. It tends to be smaller online because the players are good. They're not going to call with as many bad hands. One of the reasons we have to bet larger in live play if we want to get heads up is because people people call because they really want to play that hand. Is it a good hand? No. I want to play. I've been, it could be out of boredom. It could be, they really, it's their favorite hand. Online, the players are better. So you can use smaller bets to accomplish the same thing. There's another difference between live and online players in their pre-flop selection, and that is the sheer volume of hands you can see in the same amount of time. When you play live poker, you're only sitting down at one table. If you have a good dealer, you might see 25 hands an hour. That's it. So a lot of players want to have fun. They don't want to sit there and fold all the time. So they're going to play their crappy, off-suited, triple gappers, whatever. Online, you could easily play four, five, six tables. I know, Dell, you play six tables. And you could easily see 100 hands per hour at each table. So now you're seeing four, five, or 600 hands per hour versus the 25 per hour that you'd see alive. You can be a lot more selective you can just keep clicking that fold button because you can afford to wait until you get, well, not just premium hands because we mentioned in a previous podcast, nobody just plays premium hands anymore. But you can at least wait for hands that you know are in your well-constructed range that fit your model for what you're willing to achieve, your objectives. What, what are you trying to do? You, how much money do you have? How much time do you have? Whatever. And so that's a huge difference. Yeah, I, I'm going to just make one little correction in the language. It's not that I can wait, that I'm able to wait. You're able to wait in live also. If you have a well-constructed range, you have well-constructed. The problem with live for some people is that they could set a whole session and not get any hands in their range. It is possible. It, it doesn't happen very often. But it is possible. And, and people tend to start thinking of themselves as card did, but they only get two or three hands in a session that were premium hands. And the advantage of online 
besides the volume is just that you're playing six tables. You don't go many seconds <laughs> without having a hand that fits in your range for a given position. So it's not that I can wait. It's that I don't have to. I'm always playing hands. Whereas in live, you have to actually be a lot more disciplined to stick to that range. So that's a little bit off. I want to keep it in this episode. That's a little bit off our topic, but I mean, it goes to the whole bet sizing is that I can accomplish the same with smaller bets online as I do with bigger bets live. One of the things that I'll say is that people bet the same bet size from every position pre-flop. And actually, I don't agree with it in concept. I bet a different size from every position. Now, I've had people when I've said this, oh, no, I bet the same size all the time, so they can't tell what I got. You can't tell what I got either based on my bet size. I'm not changing my bet size based on hand strength. I'm changing my bet size based on position. And here is why. If I'm playing 6 max, I'm opening 4x under the gun. I'm doing that because I still have five people to act. The moment one of them calls, you tend to get a cascade of callers. So I want to make that price a price that is going to be hard for that first caller to call. That first caller is going to need a hand to call because I have all these plays. I want to get heads up and it becomes harder. If you're under the gun, it's harder to get heads up than if you're on the button. I don't open as large on the button as I do under the gun. I don't have to. The goal is to get heads up. And this is one of the things that I should say is that at that point, all our hands are vulnerable pre-flop. The thing is, is we want to bet larger to get heads up, but the reality is we don't want to bet larger than we have to because all our hands are vulnerable pre-flop. That super strong hand pre-flop usually isn't that strong on the flop, <laughs> you know? If I don't have to bet 5x, then I'm, I don't bet 5x. It's why it's not just as simple and black as white as always bet 3x. If I can get the same result from 2.5x, guess what? I'm going to do 2.5x. That's what happens in tournament play, right? They're going along, and in the earlier stages, they might be betting 3x as they get further along. Now 2x accomplishes the same thing. Why bet 3x if 2.5x accomplishes the same thing? So I do those different sizes. Does everybody have to do that? No, but there's a very good reason why I do it, and I would recommend it to anybody. If I'm playing nine-handed, under the gun, I'm opening 5X. It's just automatic. That's online. Now, live, I do a similar thing, but one thing I can tell you is it's, it's never the standard bet size, but it's also never so high that it becomes a mathematical mistake based on effective stack size. Yeah, I agree. I do that too at live poker. I, if I am under the gun, I will open raise larger than I will in the hijack cutoff button. One thing you mentioned about opening bet sizes is very similar to bluffing. And that is don't bet more than you need to to accomplish your objectives. This gets to maximizing EV in that you want to maximize the risk reward ratio. If you can get someone to fold by betting $20, you know they're going to fold if you shove all in. But why would you do so? In that off chance that they call your all in, you're screwed on bluff. You want to size your bluffs appropriately so that you're committing the minimum amount needed to accomplish your objectives. It's the same thing with open raising. Don't open raise so much that you bet everyone out of the pot. Don't open raise so little that you get a field of callers like a min raise might. And also maybe don't open raise so much that based on your stack depth, you're leaving an SPR of like 0.5 and you're going to play for stacks on the flop regardless. And that's not a good position to be in either. 
I think that when we look at what we're trying to do here, we're talking about concepts and the process of putting them into application at the table. This is not solved. And this is actually preflop, and it's the closest thing in poker to being solved. But even that is not solved because you're dealing with human beings. For example, like I, I could say bet this size, but that size wouldn't always be right. If you're playing against somebody who's going to fold if you glance in their general direction, you ain't got to bet big. On the same token, if you've got aces and you've got somebody who's going to call you if you bet a million dollars, then by all means, bet the million dollars because you are such an equity favorite. So I think that, what is that? So you mentioned the, the price inelasticity. That person that's inelastic in their plane going to call you because they are going to call you. Those people exist. They're rare. They're kind of like unicorns, Bigfoot, you know. Um, eventually, somebody will catch one, but uh, <laughs> I haven't. But no, but they, they exist. None of this is cut and dry. It is all just a process we work on every time we sit down at the table because we're going to go there with a preset plan that is going to be adapted to whatever the table dynamics are. I think that gets us to our first exercise. Not quite a tool, but something to do. When people sit down at the table, they put their chips down, they give the dealer their card, and then they look for a cup of coffee or they look to see what's on SportsCenter, what's on the TV. I am continually amazed at what little attention people pay to their surroundings. There's so much information to be gleaned at the table. Who's paying attention? Who's not? If you look around the table and you see that people are like, heads down buried in their phone, they're probably not paying attention or talking to their neighbor. They're having a good time. They're not following whose turn is it, who does what, but also pay attention to the bet sizing. What's the table standard? Is everybody min-raising? Is everybody doing 3x? Like Dell mentioned, it's a zero-sum game given the rake and at some places promotional fees as well. So every hand is getting some chips siphoned off it. It's a zero-sum game. Once you understand what the table standard is, go against the grain. Defy that standard. Not only will you beat the zero-sum game by not falling prey to the herd mentality and just be like the sheeple at the table, but you'll also put people to harder decisions. And when you put people to harder decisions, they tend to make mistakes. Right. And you can capitalize on those mistakes. Right. So that exercise is real simple. You're going to sit down at the table. You're going to identify what the table standard for the bet is. And you're going to bet a little larger than that. But it's a little bit, it's a one more step than that. You're going to keep raising your bet until you see what it takes to get heads up. There is a caveat to that. Do not go over 8x. And the reason I'm going to say don't go over 8x is because unless you want to play a really tight ring, if you go over 8x, you're starting to get into that point where it's a mathematical mistake at 100 big blinds. If you're really deep, you can go over 8x. If you are playing a super tight range, you can go over 8x. Start raising that bet until you get to the point where it is causing enough pain in your opponents to where you're getting uh, only one, two callers max. I'll add another caveat to this. We mentioned it earlier in the episode. As you increase your bet sizes you need to decrease your opening range. Once you get to the point where you're raising significantly higher than the table norm, you might not be able to play smaller pocket pairs as profitably or suited connectors or suited gappers as profitably because you're going to need a certain amount of stack depth to profit come the flop turn in river. The second exercise is finding a way to attack the limpers and the min-raisers. We want to punish the limpers. We don't want people to see cheap flops. And a min-raise is essentially just a wasted double bet. 
in my mind. It's not really a raise. If you raise the minimum, is it really a raise? In my mind, it isn't because you can still attack that. So if you see someone limping or min raising, and by the way, it should not be you, <laughs> find a way to attack them. Remember that min raisers do sometimes have good hands. And a lot of people don't 3-bet or 4-bet at the lower stakes. So just be careful because if someone mid-raises and then you 3-bet them and then they come over the top, you got to evaluate where you stand there. But I think those are the two exercises that we want people to take away. So in your next play session, make sure you don't bet the standard size. And if you do see people limp or min-raise, find a way to punish them. This is the virtue of open raising, which is the converse of the sin of limping. <laughs> this has been awesome, BJ. It's always a good time. Thanks, Dell. Appreciate it. And until next week, this is The Blind Stealing the Blinds. Like what you heard? Head over to anchor.fm slash theblindstealingtheblind to continue the conversation and join us on the socials. While you're there, you can also support the show. One blind per month is all we ask. 